G'day everyone, welcome to Get Lost with the Travel Guide. We're going to talk about the episode of one of the most fascinating countries in the world, Egypt. Now, Egypt, I went there in 2008 for about three or four weeks and I did a guided tour on that and I was fortunate enough and blessed to meet a very interesting guy called Botros, who is a born and bred tour guide. He's Egyptian. We got a live one, folks. Welcome, Botros. And also in Botros is uh, in English that we just spoke about before is Peter. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's Peter in English, beer in French, Pedro in Italian, Pedro in Spanish, uh, Peter in Afrikaans. Well, same means. It means a small rock. Gotcha. You can find it easy. Well, whereabouts in Egypt are you right now? I'm in Cairo right now. You're right in Cairo. You're in the big smoke. You're in the capital. Oh, yeah. Right, well, what we're going to try and do, mate, we're going to try to give the listeners as much value as they can on the reasons on how and to be able to turn up to Egypt and be able to travel Egypt. So how long have you been a tour guide in Egypt and what does it require to be a tour guide in Egypt? Um, you have to study a course. It's four years course. You have to do it at Faculty of Tourism and Hotel Management, Tourist Guide Department. You have to do the whole thing to be as a tour guide. I did it and I'm now working as a tour guide for 14 years now. 14 years. So that means you just started when I, when I was there. Was that your first tour? <laughs> a little bit earlier than this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, was, it was a good time. Uh, is it, can people, what, what happened? Because I know that Egypt, a big part of the economy is tourism. It's one of the most yeah. popular tourist destinations in the world. Um, but what happened during COVID in Egypt? Uh, well, tourism, I would say, it was the uh, main income to Egypt, as you know. Like, at the time it was here, it was, like, huge business mm. running around the country. But uh, 2011, that's when we did our first revolution. Um, tourism went way down because uh, we did tour revolution a couple of years, uh, 2011, 2013. We kicked two visitors out, like, for this thing, it was the uh, main sport back that time. Um, since then, tourism is way down. Uh, we tried to get it back, but once it started to be stable again, we've been hit by COVID-19, which was all over the whole world. Now, it is a little bit back enough, but I think it's still going to take a while. Though. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think that's like, it sounds like it's the same in every sort of country, like all the tourism industries, you know, and I've found like tour guides like yourself and I that were having international tourists. I haven't found a job yet that's been more great impacted. Possibly there is, but I'm yet to find one still. Um, but it seems like the world's starting opening up slowly, slowly coming, and I imagine tourists are starting to come back, which, which, is, which is excellent. But you did mention just then um, about the 2011 revolution. So... I want to talk about all the good stuff in Egypt and we most definitely will, but also want to talk about all the bad stuff. Like if you go to any country, you got to find out all the dangers and potential hazards, you know, to keep yourself safe. So when you, I just doing a lot of the history of looking at the recent history of Egypt, you've had a, you've had a tough time, mate. Um, especially in the politics. I believe that in a nutshell, that revolution, I think the military overthrew the government and actually, is that correct? And then there was uh, like basically a lot of civil unrest. 
Yeah, we uh, 2011, we uh, kicked our president who, who was ruling us for like 52 years. Um, and then we've been in martial law uh, for a couple of months till we got the new election. Then we had another president uh, from the Muslim Brotherhood, but we didn't like the way he was managing the whole country. So we gave him a chance for like almost three years. We didn't like it, so we kicked him out. And then we've been in martial law again for a couple of months till we did a new election again, visit election. And then we have the um, new president right now. Well, that's uh, like to have a martial law. So that's where you got like the general, like the leader of the military sort of in charge. They're removing like the camouflaged army outfit and going into like a suit in the politics. We are fine with the army here in Egypt. We, we really don't have any problems with the army right here in Egypt. We, we having a very good relationship between the Egyptians and between the army. I would say the army stood by the local Egyptian side most of the time. Along our history, not just for the last couple of years, that's if it is Egyptian history, the army always there supporting the locals. He, he took the side of the Egyptians. Starting, I would say, like at the, at the revolution 2011, the army mm. was in the street supporting the people. Like, we didn't have any fights between the army and the locals. Like, most of the time, we are absolutely fine. We have no issues. With the yeah, army. right. So, the street, so it was, walking down the street, fine. It was, it was well received. Like, the, the army took over, and people were like, yeah, this is actually a good move. Wow. Absolutely. Well, interestingly, before that, because I was looking like geographically where Egypt is located. So like it's in the Middle East or northern part of Africa. Just south, you've got Sudan and to yeah. the well, southeast west. Never eat soggy Wix, to the west, you've got uh, Libya. And I was just looking into that. There's there was the Libyan Egyptian war that lasted for four days in 1977. Um, and also there's the Sudanese civil war from 1955 to 1972 and the second yeah. Sudanese war from 1983 to 2005, which has resulted in slavery, mass killings. Two million people have died as a result of the war and been, people have been displaced. So uh, there's like hundreds of thousands or if not millions of refugees scattered. And I'd imagine geographically where Egypt's located, a lot of refugees have come into Egypt. Like, is that, is that something of, of a safety concern? Uh, we got lots of Sudanese refugees uh, living in Aswan. Aswan, by the way, is the southern province we have because it's very close to the borders between us and Sudan. Uh, we got Lebanese as well. We got uh, Syrians. Lots of Syrians now are wow. all over the country. Yeah, lots of them, lots of them. And especially here in Cairo. Like, in Cairo, I would say there is a huge big, massive Syrian community in Cairo. Wow. And they have their own business now. We have no issues with refugees. Like I would say, no traumas at all. But Sudanese, um, we have a historical relationship. We were one, one kingdom back that time. Uh, mm. uh, it was one king ruling both of the two countries. Uh, some of the families, they have relatives in Sudan. So we're having no issues. Like you can cross the border with your ID. It's not really a big thing. They're your brothers so, and sisters. Uh, I personally, I've got uh, my uncles, both of two uncles living in Sudan. Huh. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's fine. We, we have no issues with it. Oh. There you go. A lot of countries like Australia really doesn't like refugees knocking on the door. And I know that's it's made news around the world of like refugees and Australia, and we, we've got a bad reputation for that. But wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that the amount of refugees actually in Egypt. It's not the case anymore. Well, um, on a street level, uh, I remember when I was there, and this might have been some guidance from yourself, scams. Um, are there like a general tourist turning up like myself and people will come up to you and try to like take a photo with you or give you directions or tie something to your hand? And I'm like, ah, oh, this is a friendly fellow. And then all of a sudden at the end, they're trying to ask for money. How do, is that? It's, it, I see it as a bit of like a, like a salesman. That's like a cold call knocking on your door and they're trying to sell you psychopedias or some steak knives. And you're like, get out of here. Like, but they've got nothing to sell. So it's a bit of a scam. It's a bit of a hacker. It's a bit of a gimmick. But how do you, is that right? And how do you, how do you avoid that situation? Uh, they are like vendors. And mainly you're going to see them around the twisted area. Um, you would find like kids, for example, or uh, young guys, if they see some tourists, they just kind of stop you and ask you for a picture or a photo. <laughs> this is because it's something different. I would say you for them, it's like a different skin. So they want to have a photo of something really different. But talking about people stopping you and asking you for money, these are vendors. I'm mainly going to see them around the twisted area. That's mm. why I'm only saying that Egypt is one the countries you cannot do it by yourself you need um, a travel company who can arrange all that stuff for you like the same the same way you did it before so it's been someone is taking care for everyone around the touristic area yeah but, like well that you're right like the first time i went there i was 24 years old yeah i'm 38 now <laughs> <laughs> but it was good like um you're right i I don't think I could do that even still now. Like I'm not sure or do people turn up by themselves, uh, try and hire a car, walk down the street and do they find themselves in trouble? Or I wonder if they've found travelers that come into Egypt and actually get through it. Okay. Like they've never been, I don't know. I, but yeah, my advice is like you said, what, why do you think the best way to experience Egypt is to go on a guided tour? Well, company, absolutely. Absolutely. So a travel agent, this is the only way, at least you have nothing to be worried about. There is someone is managing the whole thing, you just chillax and enjoy the whole thing. So it's, it's the only way to do Egypt, I would say. Like if you want to enjoy Egypt the max, this is the only way through a travel company. Wow. So what about the person that doesn't want to go on a guided tour? How can they get around? You still, you still can do it. Like it's not really a big deal. Egyptians are really very friendly. Like we, uh, it's very safe, like don't get me wrong, it's very safe, even you can walk in the street till 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, we have no issues, you still gonna find restaurants are open, people are very friendly, walking around you in the street, uh, greeting you, saying hi or whatever, but then at least there is one point, you don't know how to speak the language, mm. this is, can cause you lots of problems. Well, how many people, uh, I mean you speak English, how many other Egyptians speak English? Well, lots of them are the majority. It depends about where you are, though. Like mainly Cairo, uh, Luxor, and Aswan, most of the touristic area, lots of people are speaking more than one language, not just English. 
English, we've been taught English in school since now we're teaching kids in primary schools. Mm. So everyone speaks English, but I'm not just talking about English. I'm talking about like different languages as well. The thing is, um, you need to be careful when you cross the street. Why? <laughs> we drive crazy. <laughs> Organized chaos, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we drive like crazy. I, I would say it's same like Italy, Spain, Greece. Um, I'm not quite sure if you remember you've been last time, but you, you've seen how we drive. Yeah, we drive I. Like- yeah, there's there's like no rules. Um, I think probably the, the, the biggest difference is uh, the roads, like it's ancient Egypt, the, the streets have been there for many, many centuries, and it was designed for the horse and cart originally, and then automobiles come along and it just created chaos and gridlock. So in another city like in, in Australia or say United States, um, where many streets and roads were designed for cars, but we also practice a thing called giving way. And you don't want to cut off the other. But if everyone gives way, it just causes gridlock. It causes traffic. So it makes no sense to stop and go, oh, I'll let you through, mate. It makes sense to accelerate and go forward. Otherwise, you'll never get from A to B. Absolutely. Uh, Egypt now (laughs) has changed it for the last, I would say, five years. We we do have now new, big, massive roads. We do have the ring road around the whole capital, like around Cairo. We have a big road with eight lines. So it's really getting very good roads. But still, how to cross the street? <laughs> <laughs> look up, look down, look left, look right. Yeah. yeah. Organized chaos. Yeah, way. yeah. I do remember that. Um, yeah. Mate, thank you for sharing some insight on some of the bad stuff. Um, but you said the tourist areas. So... Our government, smarttraveler.com.au, gives significant warning. It says, do not travel within 50 kilometres. This is at the moment. uh, Within 50 kilometres of the Libya border due to high risk of terrorist attack. And it also says, like, terrorist attacks can usually target tourist areas. So I think, like, historically in the past, you can find this online on Wikipedia, and unfortunately, this is probably one of the sad realities that Egypt has. Um, Yeah, like... You know, so if you're a tourist, you'd be thinking, oh, geez, like, so what, do you know what would happen? Does that make the news in Egypt? Like another tourist or do tourists get taken and put for ransom? Or is it like people hate tourists turning up and they, I don't understand the reasons why. No, no, not really. It's, um, I really have no idea why, but I, I believe that it's media issues. Uh, Egypt is very safe. And I just finished a tour last couple of weeks and we were fine. Like, well, I'm not. I'm not gonna be crazy to pick people next to the border of Libya. That's different. You don't want to pick people over there. That's where all the things happening. You don't want to take people near the borders of Syria. That's where everything is happening. You need to be smart. I'm talking about the touristic area around Egypt. Like, if you follow the river night, it's very safe. Mm. You still have tours running every single week, and it's very safe. But again, it's media. Media showing Egypt is not a safe place to go on. And I really can't understand why. There's lots of people. We've been here, they visited Egypt, and they really did enjoy themselves. They did enjoy the country. And they said, Peter, you know what? What we have seen in media is completely different than what we have seen in Egypt. But mm. 
that's a common thing yeah well the media yeah journalists and media they got a job and responsibility and that's to sell and so they're doing a fantastic job because they're keeping their shareholders very happy but the best way to to get sell is to shock people with fear so yeah there could be probably ten thousand or a hundred thousand amazing things in egypt and there's i guess one terrorist attack and that's what you would hear you wouldn't hear about all the good stuff so i guess that makes sense but speaking of good stuff like i said got to talk about the safety stuff because it's a, it's a big concern for people so thank you for sharing that but let's talk about some of the good stuff so what would you what would be the best things to do in cairo you're flown into cairo then what then what do you do you got a few days there you got a week there is lots of things to do uh, well definitely we have the egyptian museum and a um, couple of months we will open the new egyptian museum is going to be one of the biggest museums around the whole world and this is going to be really a big thing uh definitely you can see the pyramids of giza which is one of the seven world wonders ancient world wonders and actually it's the only one still standing um you can see the citadel or the mosque of muhammad ali which is like the blue mosque in turkey uh you can see one of the oldest churches talking about Coptic history, which is the hanging church. Um, you can follow the bad of the Holy Family when they arrive to Cairo. You can follow them all the way down, uh, down the river Nile. Um, you can see the local market. You can walk with the locals around the street. Uh, you can stop at any restaurant and get a meal, very famous meal called koshari, which is like a very vegetarian plate. Uh, it's yeah, there's so much to do. Okay, so... When people uh, Google Egypt, the top things and most people see is a camel, the pyramids and the river Nile, the Pharaoh, the Sphinx, uh, Cleopatra and Tutankhamun. I think like all those are the main things and, and lots of different temples in and around the country. So you fly into Cairo. Now, when I first seen the pictures of Egypt, uh, the, the pyramids of Giza, I thought it'd be out in the middle of the desert because you look in the background, there's sand dunes all around it. And then all of a sudden, it's actually right near the city. Uh, that just sort of blew my mind. And I, I um, when we finished touring, I actually went to Pizza Hut right next door. <laughs> so, <laughs> I could, okay, uh, that didn't really fit the picture in my head. Um, yeah. But what do you do? How, do? how do you go experience the pyramids? Do you just turn up? Do you go, go to pay money to go through? How do you ride a camel? Uh, you can go to the uh, Giza pyramids around the touristic area, as I was saying, but um, pyramids back at the time, 1950s and 1960s, they were in the desert. Because back at the time, we were just like 20 million people or 30 million people. Now, just in Cairo, we have more than 33 million people <laughs> in Cairo. Yeah, we, we love having kids. So <laughs> it's pending. So now you can see that the pyramid is just downtown. So you walk to the pyramid, you're gonna find the ticket office, you buy your ticket, you walk in, and this is, as I was telling you earlier about the bad stuff, you're gonna be hustled by vendors. Mm. So, well, vendors are trying to make their own living. So this is the only thing to make living, selling stuff to the people, trying to get people into the camera or whatever. Um, hustling, I mean, 
they just try to get into the business. This is as far as you can go. So if you be fine and friendly, talk to the people, you can get drive the camel around the pyramid, around the things. And as I said, like this is the only way to do it through a private company. So it makes things way easy for you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's that would be hard. Like if, if you're not a you gotta be one seasoned traveler to be able to turn up to Egypt by yourself. You must be, you know, have been to parts of the Middle East before or used to like that type of country or culture to get a good understanding or, or possibly even know some basic Arabic to be able to, or definitely have an appreciation or understanding of Muslim culture as well, because it's primarily a Muslim nation. So if you don't have that, you know, if you've only been to the United States or England or gone to New Zealand or even Thailand or Bali, you turn up and you think, what am I doing? You got to have Botros right there by your side or something <laughs> like that. I agree. Um, Famous thing to do, take a cruise on the River Nile. I believe you can do the high-end ones with like, it's almost like a hotel on, on, on water or you can get a felucca. Tell me about, how does that happen? What, what's the experience? Uh, felucca is a basic safe traditional boat. It's like one of the uh, ancient kind of transportation. It's just a safe boat. It's very relaxing. I believe that you did it the last time you've been here to Egypt, right? Well, I, I had a girlfriend at the time and and I think she wanted the hotel. So uh, <laughs> that's what we did. Uh, look at an awesome way to experience real Egypt. We do have the Fluka say from Aswan, which is a southern province, way south of the country, to Luxor, heading north. Uh, we have, uh, nowadays we do Fluka for one night. It's, if you are a bunch of friends, this is going to be fun. Like, you got nothing to do. It's just chillaxing on board, drinking beer, enjoying the river Nile, enjoying the scenery around. This is awesome. As a night, we look at any island and have a bonfire. It's, it's just great. This I, is fine. You said something Nile. there. You said drinking beer. Now, yeah. you got to remember, majority of Egyptians are Muslim. And drinking alcohol and Muslim doesn't really come. Kind of, but, whoa, that was something I found very surprising is how uh, readily available beer is all around Europe and how accepted okay. it is. It's like, ah, drink, drink yourself nuts, it mate. way westernized. Like, it's not, um, we're not like Iran. <laughs> we're completely different. <laughs> we, we having a moderate Islam, like we having the middle class of Islam, which is really, really great with everyone. We don't have any issues. Like, I mean, but still, to be honest, like you can drink beer on the street. Mm. Still, still like it's not uh, against our culture but, we can't uh, drink beer on the street here more free than us it's same like back in Friday absolutely <laughs> but yeah we, we still do it like it's around the district area you're fine no problems at all well you did mention something before uh, you mentioned food and you mentioned like a great vegetarian place um, what is Egyptian food I think I got a basic understanding but can you elaborate we do have uh, a very basic traditional plate. It's called koshari, which is, uh, I would say, a vegetarian plate, pasta, lentil, uh, onion rings, tomato sauce, and rice. You mix it together and you eat it. And we do have uh, falafel, which is beans. Mm. Uh, we do have uh, molokaya, which is kind of like a soup. 
uh, green salad is a really very big thing in, in our kitchen. Like mainly, I would say the traditional meal it would be rice, vegetables, kofta. You remember kofta? Yeah, 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 yep. That's a common thing in Australia. You can get that. Yeah, I, I think you guys call it sausages. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, here we call it kofta, uh, chicken. So it's um, mainly this is the basic traditional meal we have in our house: rice, vegetables, green salad beef or uh, chicken well all that what you mentioned there's a lot of that has been farmed right and from memory i didn't see many large supermarkets around i mean you get supermarkets but not like big store like you haven't been to australia have you but what i'm talking about is places like woolworths and coles like massive mass produced a lot of tins on the shelves Uh, but that's one thing i do remember about egypt is how better i felt because the food quality uh, it was incredible. Like, uh, to my knowledge, uh, majority of Egypt is in desert, but you go up the north where the Nile sort of spreads out and there's really fertile land, a lot of farming. So it's like north of Cairo. So all that food, I think, is grown locally and sort of shipped down the Nile and put to the supermarkets or cafes, restaurants. Farms, not just as a north of Cairo, we do have farms all the way around the Nile. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's been farmed by the locals and you can walk to any factory and buy your meat or buy your beef or whatever. Yeah. But it's and delicious. That's it, fresh. Oh, yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Uh, sometimes uh, you just pick it up while you did it right now. Like it's very fresh. It's just while it's fresh. Like you still can hold it and it's hot. And mm. yeah, it's the only way to get the uh, fresh meat. Well, what would be moving on from food uh we spoke about the 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 the, the pyramids the, the Giza pyramids now there's yeah. actually quite a lot of temples um yeah. what would be the best temples to go to to in egypt uh definitely apart from the pyramids definitely i would recommend uh, abu simple temple which is um you remember this one it's one on the southern Way next to the border, not too Sudan. not too far from Sudan, and I think yeah. it was submerged underwater, and they literally had to chop it up and relocate it. Absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, two temples built by the most famous king in our history. His name is Ramses II. Uh, we do have two temples over there, um, and after we built the High Dam of Aswan back in 1960, we had to move these two temples. I think that was built by the Russians too. Uh, the, the high dam built by the Russians, yeah. yeah. But uh, we we paid them, like I mean, like the time. Uh, so now it's pure Egyptian taste. So um, yeah, the, those two temples were going to be completely submerged under the uh, Lake Nasser. That's why we had to rebuild the whole temples again. And definitely, I would recommend Valley of the Kings. Valley of the Kings. Uh, yeah. Tell we're me about that. Uh, remember that big massive area with the uh, tombs of the kings of Luxor? Oh, well, honestly, like that's the thing. Like it was a number of years ago for me, but we went to so many. Like yeah. the the pyramids in Cairo is an easy one to remember, and the rest yeah. of it's like oh, I went to so many temples. Yeah. Like it's all like a mishmash of ancient history in this my mind. Everyone talking about Egypt is just the pyramids. No, we mm. have really very amazing stuff more than the pyramids 
Mm. Uh, I was in Philae Temple, which is that temple built on an island on the middle of the river Nile. It's an awesome temple. Uh, Valley of the Kings, definitely where you can see the tomb of King Tutankhamun. You can see his mummy at Valley of the Kings till nowadays. Um, Karnak Temple in Luxor, which is the biggest temple we have in the country. It's, it's really huge. Uh, we do have lots of things to see. How do you see a mummy? Can, can you just go in and, and take a selfie with a mummy? How, how does that you work? Can. You can. At the Egyptian Museum, we do have a couple of mummies. And now we have the uh, new museum, uh, the Museum of uh, Civilization, where you can walk in and you can see 14 mummies. Wow. Yeah. All right, we've got a few more things to go, Botros, and then we'll start to wrap it up. So sure. what would be, I mean, when you go to Egypt, you think of ancient Egypt, but when I found there's actually some really cool stuff in modern times, which doesn't really get that a lot of attention. I thought, wow, this is really cool. Uh, but I found, and please help me out here, snorkeling. So you go on the east side around like Sharm El Sheikh or Dahab, um, if you want to go scuba diving or snorkeling, like in Australia, if you want to go out to the Barrier Reef, you've got to get a boat for an hour or two before you hit the reef. Not there. You literally just just walk off uh, the coast and there you are in like some beautiful, pristine, tropical paradise. Absolutely. Uh, we do have lots of uh, diving snorkeling spots. Urgada, uh, which is by the Red Sea, uh, cross the other way from Urgada, a place which is Sharm el Sheikh, uh, the most beautiful place in Sinai, as you mentioned, is Dahab. In Dahab, we have the second best diving spot in the whole world. Mm. You guys having the first best spot, Great Barry. Uh, in Egypt, we have the second best spot in Dahab. It's called the Blue Hole. This is the second best spot, I mean, diving spot mm. in the world. You dive there and you just like, you see lots of fish, lots of pools. And uh, I remember I did dive over there and uh, I see a fish like almost this size, like a little tiny fish. Yeah. And once you sit there, you take a deep breath, take the regulator out of your mouth, you open your mouth and that fish goes into your mouth, cleaning your teeth. It's like <laughs> eating your dead skin. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, that have, that have is the best spot if you're alive. You do, you do uh, diving with um, dolphins. Wow, I didn't realize there's dolphins off the coast of Egypt. You can, wow. There is, there is yeah. In Urgada, you can see some. Or rig dive, you can see rig dive as well. You can do rig dive. We do have lots of diving snorkel spots. So oh, but what's some other cool activities? I think hot air ballooning. I remember somehow you talked me into climbing Mount Sinai, which is... Uh, the mountain where Moses come down and he spoke to God and God gave him the Ten Commandments. It was from that yeah. hill where no one is around to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking first about the hot air balloon. The hot air balloon you can do it in Luxor, which is around the uh, west bank of Luxor. Uh, you can fly around the west bank of Luxor before the sunrise. So the good thing about it is you're flying while you're watching the sunrise is coming up. And if you look down, you can see some of the temple. So mm. it's, it's an awesome view, like seeing the sunrise, seeing the ancient Egyptian stuff. It's really great. It blows up my mind every time I do it. Uh, you can do it for like an hour. It's actual time you are on the balloons, like an hour. Side nine, you can climb St. Catherine, 
monastery. You can go visit St. Catherine Monastery. And you can climb uh, the mountain where Buddha took the uh, Ten Commandments. It's really an awesome view from up there. You're watching the sunrise. But hey, this is the only place in Egypt where you can see snow. <laughs> wow. You say yeah. snow. Yeah. It's not like really a proper snow, but it's like. Yeah, yeah. right. But it's freezing at winter. Like in yeah, yeah, because you got. You're you're up in the hills, so you got some serious altitude going on. Absolutely. Well, mate, we've only got a couple more minutes left, so I just want to try and add as much value as I can. Uh, so, speaking of that, when is the best time to go? Speaking of weather, I would say winter, like starting from January. Uh, you can go even Christmas and New Year before that. Um, uh, let's say from October all the way up to April. So avoid the heat. Avoid the summer. It's just too hot. Way hot. Way mm. hot. In August, it can reach easily 50 degrees in Aspen. So we're basically, like right now, we're in the middle of, we're in the back end of June. Yeah. I'm guessing you've got some nice air conditioner at the moment. Yeah, it's 30, 33, more or less. Uh, it's crazy, though. I, I believe something is really happening when it comes to climate because it's really hot in the morning, while at the night it's a little bit chilly. Mm. I don't get it, but something is really happening with the climate. All right. Got one more thing I really want to cover because, I, because I've traveled there with yourself and I looked through my photos and I was just trying to remember everything before this podcast. Um, but one thing I did find, and this has just started, I think, got the green thumb, so to speak, from the government, it's called New Cairo 2030. So because Cairo, you said like my, what I, you said 33 million people. I was able to find it. I thought it was only 20 million. So either way, it's a phenomenal amount of people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you look at the ancient city. It doesn't really, it's the traffic is crazy. You said, watch out for the traffic it makes sense. So the government or the, the people who the decision makers of Egypt have got together and you look at, the land and where you can build Cairo, there's nowhere to go except to build out on the sand. And there's this phenomenal project called New Cairo 2030, where it's got the some I can't put Google this, folks. Like, look it up on YouTube. It's got millions of views. It'll blow your mind. But there was a couple of things that stood out. You're building a 90,000 seat stadium, uh, the biggest defense headquarters in the world, uh, which is called yeah. the Octagon. So move over Pentagon. You're now number two. And it's got all the political buildings. And the reason why is because the, it was such a nightmare for all the politicians to get from one building to another. So when they get together for a business meeting, instead of like, hey, we'll, I'll be there in 10 minutes or walk over, they got to drive for an hour or two. And then they, it's, it was chaos. So I thought, you know what? We've got to move forward. Cairo can only expand so much. But one thing that absolutely is phenomenally blown my mind is it's going to have in competition – uh, with Saudi Arabia, the world's tallest building called the Obelisco, which is going to be 3,281 feet. Now we do the math, that is 1,000 meters. And it's in the shape of an obelisk, like an Egyptian obelisk. It's a kilometer. Yeah. One kilometer in the sky. <laughs> and uh, Saudi Arabia is building something as well as, as, as a race. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it's just phenomenal. Race. So like you, you look at the top 10 buildings in the world, like number 10 to number five, they're like in China, China, China. Like uh, I think number seven or six or seven is the World Trade Center, which is like 540 meters. You got Taipei is 500 meters. South Korea, it's number 
five or six in the world. It's 550. So all about 500 meters. Then you've got Saudi Arabia at 600, Kuala Lumpur at 689, Dubai, which is the tallest one, 821. It's a pass. It's not just going past. It's significantly going past. Yeah. Unbelievable. So you, I think that can absolutely surpass the pyramids with a tourist attraction. Seeing this obelisk one kilometer in the air. Yeah. Look yeah. out, Cairo for 2030. It's going to be, it's oh, it's like a new Dubai. Like 5 million yeah. people are going to be placed in this city. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome place. It's a um, really very organized place, very organized area. As you said, like Cairo is very extended now and very crowded. That's why the government started to take everyone from downtown out to the desert. So they put the new capital over there. We have uh, a new cathedral. We have a big mosque, uh, lots of factories. Uh, the oxygen, as you said, like everything is going to be moved from downtown to that new capital. Mm. And uh, yeah, this is this is going to be in 2030. There's no project government. like it ever. No, but... the government has a very good view when it comes to this project, like really hands up with this project. It, it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Especially for the as well. I've seen that and I thought, i got to go back. Like once it's built in 2030 onwards, I am, I'm looking you up, mate. We'll, we'll do two and number two together. <laughs> uh, you need to come back again. To I do. Um, I want to. I, I, it, it will happen. It's just a question of when. That I promise. You're always welcome then. Anytime <laughs> you want. Well, mate, we are out of time. Um, uh, really thank you for everything that you've just spoken about. Um, and it's because of tours like yourself, I become a tour guide as a result for the oh, same yeah. company. It's a great job being around the people, uh, taking the people, telling them about the history. It's an awesome job. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to getting back on the road. And I know uh, you've just had tours. We're yet to start tours again. So, mate, once again, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. You're welcome. See ya. You made it to the end of the podcast. All right. You know the drill. Give us a like, subscribe, or leave some juicy comments. And thank you so much for listening to Get Lost with the Travel Guide, where we talk all things travel, tourism, and adventure. See you next time.